0: all right if you have a bible dictionary you'll need that you'll need your bible you need it open to isaiah we're going to go back to isaiah chapter 7 there will be some redundancy in what we've already done we'll be adding a lot as well um the people participating in the bible study exercise have sent me pages and pages of things i've got timelines I've got so much. They've, they've went all in and have worked and worked and worked. And they all acknowledge that we could spend all of 2022 on Isaiah 7. And we still wouldn't be able to figure everything out. But we're going to do what we can tonight. I spent a good portion of the day reworking it. And uh, I, I still think there's one massive problem that I cannot figure out. Neither can anybody else. Um, a lot of people at the bible uh, a part of the bible study exercise try to send they try they sent their possible solutions today um, trying to figure some of it out but w- we're going to we're going to kind of utilize we're going to try to utilize one of the timelines sent to me but we're going to try to create our own timeline cuz maybe Part of me wanted to not get into the timeline, but maybe we're going to have to establish a timeline to try to figure out some of the problems, especially when we get down to verse 16 and everything falls completely apart. So we're going to walk, walk our way right back through it. We need to get to chapter 8 is what we really need to do, because some people believe that's the actual fulfillment of the prophecy in chapter 7, um, and that it's you know not even about uh, Jesus. Um But we will have to, uh, we'll have to work through this and see what we can do. So Isaiah chapter 7, instead of reading it all and then going back for time's sake, since we've already read it and we'll have read it, I don't know how many times now, what, four times so far in the podcast and everybody's supposed to be reading it all all week. Um, We're just going to read like verse 1 and then start just right there and just walk our way through this. Some of it I'm going to repeat that we've already covered. But what I'm going to do is add maybe or clarify some things. And then other things that we did cover, I'm going to skip to try to get down to some of the, uh, the issues that we need to work on. All right. Isaiah chapter seven, verse one. I haven't even brought in the curriculum yet uh, to the whole discussion, but we'll, I may get to that in a podcast tomorrow or Friday. We'll see. Isaiah chapter seven. All right, here we go. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz. Let's stop right there. If you've got a Bible dictionary, go ahead and look up Ahaz. Let's establish a time frame. We, I know we did a little bit of work on this. Let's establish a time frame for the reign of Ahaz. All right. So we can, uh, where's my Bible dictionary? It disappeared. There it is. All right. Do what? Okay, yeah, Yeah, on my microphone, yeah. yeah. I can't use those, okay. Those are now a part of the microphone stand. They don't count as dictionaries anymore. All right, so let's look up Ahaz one more time. All right, and I don't know if we're going to get dates here, okay. Uh, Ahaz, the name of two men in the Old Testament. Everybody see that? Uh, number one, a son of Jotham and the 11th king of Judah. Second Kings 15, verse 38, chapter 16, verses 1 through 20. All right. He was uh, an ungodly king who promoted the worship of Molech with its pagan rites of human sacrifice. Second Chronicles 28, 1 through 4. The reign of Ahaz probably overlapped the reign of his father Jotham and possibly the reign of his own son Hezekiah his age when he began uh, became king was 20 and he reigned for how many years 16 years and when did his reign begin 735 so if someone wants to help create a timeline tonight if you'll someone will take that job and uh, start working on a timeline we'll just now you can just put different backs down, and we'll have to organize it as we as see fit, but we want to know Ahaz, so Ahaz began reigning in 735, he reigned for how many years, 16 years, so that means it would end when? It goes the other way, yeah, it goes the other way, right, about 719, does that make sense? All right. You are the math experts. okay? All right. So you can just kind of put that's a a basic timeline for his uh, reign. Is that that work or no? Does everybody everybody agree with that? Okay, All right. Okay, now, well, we could probably look up other sources and see. I may have you look up other sources tonight. We'll see. We'll just read a couple of other things about him because some other names are going to be brought in. So he reigns for 16 years. Main thing we need to know about Ahaz is what? What's a couple of things we need to know? ungodly, promoted the worship of Molech with its pagan rites of human sacrifices, right? It may be important to know that his reign overlapped. That may come into play. We'll see. He reigned for how many years? 16 years. It started in 735 BC and would have ended 719 BC, All right. Early in his reign, Ahaz adopted policies that favored whom? He adopted policies that favored whom? Assyria. All right, very important, okay, that because Assyria plays a big part in this whole story in Isaiah chapter 7, does it not? Okay, so he adopted policies that favored Assyria. When he refused to join the anti-Assyrian alliance of Pekah of Israel and Rezin of Syria, They invaded Judah and besieged Jerusalem, threatening to dethrone Ahaz and replace him with a puppet king. Now we read about, we're going to read about this in Isaiah chapter 7. All right. Just know he was basically think of him as being more pro Assyria and this alliance was against Assyria and he refused to join them. All right, just keep that in mind. We're going to some of this will repeat multiple times, but that's okay because I want you to have a good idea of what's going on. All right. Pekka and Rezin killed how many people? Hundred and twenty thousand people and took how many people captive? Two hundred thousand. However. Though the intervention of, Obde, of Obed, the prophet, the captives were released immediately. Second Chronicles 28 5 through 15. Right, in view of his precarious circumstances, Ahaz requested help from whom? Til- Tiglath Pileser the third. Well, uh, make sure we get Tiglath Pileser the third. King of whom? Assyria. Now, I mean, he was already pro-Assyrian, right? And now when he gets in trouble, who does he seek help from? Assyria. Just keep this, this background information as we go. Now, we're going to read some of this again as we get into Isaiah 7. But this is just basic information. All right. Basic information. So let's go through some basic things about Ahaz. He was wicked. He instituted pagan rituals that involved human sacrifice. He was, he reigned for how many years? Sixteen years, beginning when? 735, ending? 719, around about, okay. And what else can we know? He was pro-Assyria, and he, he when there was alliance, he refused to join the alliance between which two kings, or which two countries? Israel and Syria, right? They came together. He refuses to join. That's going to, that is going to pose him some problems. We'll, we'll see that. And then he seeks help from whom? Assyria. And who's the king? Tiglath-Pileser III, king of Assyria. Offering him what? Silver and gold. Anyone know where he possibly gets that silver and gold from? The temple. All right. Demonstrating what? His wickedness. All right. At first, the plan worked, and Assyria invaded Israel and Syria. Ultimately, however, Assyria distressed Ahaz, demanding excessive tribute. And where we read about that is 2 Chronicles 28, 20 through 21. Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. All of this information is absolutely critical to interpret Isaiah chapter 7. Okay, Or at least a good portion of it. Do you have the reference? 16, 16, 16, and Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and sent it for present to the king of Assyria. Alright, Second Kings sixteen eight makes it clear that's where I don't know why the Bible dictionary leaves that out, but he took it from there. So there's there's no question about it, no question about it. That's where he took it from, all right? Which demonstrates his spiritual character. Spiritually, Ahaz stopped following in the ways of the four relatively good kings who had preceded him. All right. He made images of Baal, offered infant sacrifices in the valley of Hinnom, and sacrificed on the high places. He came under further pagan influence at Damascus when he had gone to meet Tiglath-Pileser III. Seeing a pagan altar there, he commanded Uriah, the priest of Jerusalem, to build a copy of it and then installed it. Next to the bronze altar in the Jerusalem temple. All right. Um, It was King Ahaz that Isaiah's announcement of the promised Emmanuel was made. The prophet Isaiah sent a message to the terrified Ahaz, but Ahaz would not turn to God and trust in him for deliverance. Instead, he plunged deeper into idolatry and self-destruction. Ahaz's conduct brought divine judgment to Judah in the form of military defeats. Edom revolted and took captives from Judah. The Philistines invaded Judah, capturing several cities. Resident of Damascus seized control of Elath, Judah's port on the, on the Gulf of Aqu- Aquaba. Uh, at his death, Ahaz was buried without honor in Jerusalem. He was not deemed worthy of a burial in the royal tombs. 2 Chronicles 28, 27. All right. Now, all of that's the basic information. I don't think there's much dispute on any of that. The only thing, where do you think there would possibly be dispute? Of anything mentioned there in the dictionary? Dates, right? Remember, whenever whenever you look up multiple sources, there's always like, wait, this, did it start here? Did it stop there? Which sometimes can create problems. This is just very important to note from uh Bible study, sometimes knowing the dates can be very critical in how you interpret something, right? If you're trying to interpret, like, when did this happen? Because we're trying to figure out the fulfillment of a prophecy, or we, we need dates, and sometimes you'll look in one source, and it'll be like, this person lived from this, this long to this long, or reigned from this, and you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. So, just always remember, whenever you see a date in any source, what should your attitude be about a date and a source? Question it and verify it. If you get multiple uh, sources that agree on those ti- that time frame, then you're good to go. In fact, you have a different Bible dictionary, don't you, Sarah? Yes, I have. Does it use the same time frame as when his reign starts, or does it use it differently? They say 7:35, but 7:15. Okay. According to some authorities, two years as a five-story. Okay. All right. So they have him. They have his reign ending in 7:15. Okay, so we, all right, so just, I immediately just realize, now what is it, when you find immediate, coming? I mean, that's just two dictionaries and we already have a difference, yes? Immediately, what does that tell you? Don't be dogmatic and don't, this is very, 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 very important. Don't form a interpretation based off dates in which you cannot be dogmatic about, I'm not saying that that's going to play a role here. It's just an important lesson to remember. If your interpretation depends on a date and you can't find agreement on the date, you can't be dogmatic about your interpretation. Does that make sense? Everyone forgets that, but it's just, it's, it's very important. Okay, so let's go back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz. We've got dates. We've got his character. We know a lot about him, Right? Okay, so in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up towards Jerusalem to war against it, but could not prevail against it. Okay, now, let's go through some basic information here. You probably already know this. Rezin is the king of which country? No, yeah, Rez is the king of Syria, okay. Pechus, the king of Israel. And this would mean when the kingdom had been split. split, divided. So if he's the king of Israel, he's the king of the north, the northern kingdom. So let's go through this. We have Ahaz, and Ahaz, the king of whom? Judah, Judah which is which kingdom? Southern kingdom. Rez is the king of Syria, and is the king of Israel, which is the northern kingdom. They decide, so Syria and Israel team up, and they they go up against where? Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the capital of what? Judah, all right? From the death of King Solomon until its destruction... Under Nebuchadnezzar, Jerusalem functions as the capital of the Kingdom of Judah. So I know that's just basic information, but it's amazing how many people don't know that basic information. And if you don't know basic information, how can you interpret that? Like it's very simple. If you don't have the basics, then you can't interpret anything, right? You got to have the basics before you can interpret anything. All right, so let's go through this again. All right, we have Ahaz. He's the king of where? Judah. Judah is which side? The southern kingdom or the south. Rezin, king of Syria. Pekah, king of Israel, which is the northern kingdom. They go up against Jerusalem, which is the capital of the south. All right. Makes sense? Now, in fact, let's, let's, do, uh, let's go back to Isaiah 7. All right. That's verse 1. Let's go to verse 2. All right, Isaiah chapter 7, there's verse 1 or verse 2. It was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and his heart was moved with the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Now, I'm just going to read some basic information that's going to repeat some of the things we have in the dictionary, but from different sources. All right, everybody ready? Listen carefully. The work of the prophet now carries him into the main current of history as recorded in... So, these are key cross-references to this situation. 2 Kings 15 and 16, and 2 Chronicles 28. And where else do you think we get information about all of this situation? Assyrian inscriptions. Now, the Assyrian inscriptions, we don't believe are inspired, but they can be very critical to develop what? Historical fact and context. All right? Now... Th- these are some facts this commentary tells us we need to bear in mind. All right, everybody ready? Number one, that the kingdom of Israel under Menahem had already become tributary to Assyria. All right, so the kingdom of Israel had already become tributaries, right? Everybody know what that means? Yeah, and basically paying money for them and, and serving them, Okay. Number two, that the object of the alliance between Pekah, a bold and ambitious usurper, and Rezin, was to organize a resistance against Assyria, such as that which Uzziah had taken part. So why are they working together? To fight Assyria. But then why are they coming against Jerusalem? Right? Is that a good question? Right. I think we already know the answer, but that that would be a good question. Right. Uh, uh, It says uh, that first Jotham and then Ahaz apparently refused to join the Confederacy and that the object of the attacked, the attack of the allied kings was either to force Ahaz to join or else to dispose him and bring the dynasty of David to a close and set a follower of their own, probably a Syrian on the throne of Judah. Now, what would be significant about that biblically? Yeah, the the line of David is supposed to always be someone on the throne, right? Okay, so they, they can't, that, that God, in a sense, is, if he's going to keep his promises, can't allow that to, to end. Does anybody know where that promise is found? I don't want to take too much time to put you all on the spot. Where God makes this promise to David that there's always going to be someone on the throne. I'm gonna look real quick and see if someone's already answered it online. Let me see here. That's from a, com- a commentary. Okay, how come? Well, it doesn't. Isaiah seven. It's going to be told that they're go- they're coming to replace you. They're coming to get rid of you. Yeah. Isaiah seven is going to verify that. Okay. All right. Do you I mean you'll you'll see it here in a minute. You'll see it. Okay. Alright, do what? First Kings nine five. Stacy says First Kings nine five. Everybody can look at that really quick. I'm trying to uh, turn the volume down here. Okay. Okay. All right. But you got first Kings nine five. All right, let's see what happens here. First Kings nine five. 1 Kings 9, 5. 1 Kings 9, 5. Then I will establish the throne of my kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David. My father, there shall not fail they a man upon the throne of Israel. All right? There's There's a promise there? Yes? Okay. Now, if... Ahaz is removed, and that brings the end of David's th- uh, line. You can see now why God's going to step into this situation, yes? All right. That's just, that just helps us understand why God is about to get involved very specifically here, okay? And it may explain the future prophecy, correct? Yes? Don't, don't we refer to Jesus as a king? All right, okay, so that, that becomes very... Important. All right, so let me go back to my notes. All right? Any questions about any of that? All right. All right. They could not prevail against it. The words obviously refer to a special stage in the campaign. The king of Syria seems to have been the leading spirit of the confederacy. They, you can put a reference down. Second Chronicles twenty eight five through fifteen. Um, or, or, I'm sorry. The words obviously refer to a special stage in the campaign. The king of Syria seems to have been leading the, the spirit of the confederacy. Second Chronicles 28, 5-15 represents Judah as having sustained a great and almost overwhelming defeat. Jerusalem, however, though besieged, was not absolutely taken. Uh, Second Kings 16, 5-6 records the capture of the port of Elath on the Gulf of Akaba by resin, which we read in the Bible dictionary as well. All right, so there, in other words, there's been a campaign against this. They had had some success, but what had they not completely taken? Jerusalem. Now, a couple of things here, when we read all of this, all right? Now, this is very practical. I want you to pay close attention to this, all right? In Isaiah chapter 7, let's go through this. Ahaz, is he a real king? Over a what kind of a country? A spiritual country? A real country? Not a spirit. Not a spiritual country. Okay, a real country. All right, everybody got it. Okay, a, okay. Ahaz is over whom? Judah, which is the southern kingdom. A, re, a real country. Everybody got it. Real, literal. Okay, not the church. Right, not the church. Can everyone say Amen? Not the church, okay? This is so, I know you think that this is like, we know this, but we have to drive this home, especially if you read the rest of Isaiah and you have a Matthew Henry commentary. Because Matthew Henry completely seems to forget these facts, all right? If you start establishing this is how you interpret Isaiah, then you're establishing a hermeneutic that has to be applied where? To the rest of the book, unless you are given very good textual reasons to abandon it. So Ahaz, a real king. All right. What's the other kings mention, mentioned? Pekah, king of Israel. Is that a real nation? All right. Uh, Rezin, king of real kings, real nations. Okay. Right. Tiglath is Israel. They go against Jerusalem. Did they go against the church? No. They go against Jerusalem. Was it a real military campaign? Yes, we just read about some of the victories that, they, that Judah suffered some serious pain, some serious defeat. Now, I, w- I want to make sure you re- re- understand this. That even though they did not completely take Jerusalem, Jerusalem, are, they, lost, they lost a port, they lost some area. Now why is, this, why is this important to know this? Why is it important to know this at this point? Why are they telling you that they, why is the writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling you that they had gone up against Jerusalem, they didn't take it, and then when we read a little history, we find out that they had some, that Judas suffered some serious losses. Why is that important to understand? Well, it establishes what in the world's going on with Ahaz. Right, like we can just like, well, Ahaz, God came to offer Ahaz a sign, and he's like, "No, well, what a jerk, what a loser." This puts make, makes you can understand. How would you feel if you're king and you've already suffered some serious defeats and you almost lost Jerusalem? What do you think your your mindset would be? Do you need a promise about sixty five years down the road? No. When, what do you need? I need a solution now. I, in fact, I needed a solution yesterday. Right? So, so that, that creates the, the environment so that we can better understand Ahaz. We, yes, it's easy to come here and go, Ahaz had no faith. He's ungodly. He's wicked. And everybody says, Amen. And everybody goes home. And guess what? We're a lot like Ahaz when we face a situation that's serious. It's easy to condemn him. And I'm not saying we shouldn't condemn him, but shouldn't we not seek to understand it? Because we can all relate. I mean, can you imagine being in charge and this is what's happened? I mean, you got you got people against you, two countries, right, who want to remove you. In fact, Isaiah is going to let him know the seriousness of the situation. All right. So everybody got that. All right. I'll just I'll read from another commentary that confirms some of the same thing. All right. This, Syria, this Syria-Israel war is touched on both in Kings and Chronicles. In Kings, the alliance between Rezin and Pekah is distinctly, distinctly declared as also the fact that they co-jointly besieged Jerusalem. You can read that again in 2 Kings 16. From Chronicles, we learn that before the siege, Ahaz was twice defeated with a great loss, once by the Syrians. 2 Chronicles 28.5 and once by the Israelites, 2 Chronicles twenty-eight six, He was probably, therefore, reduced to great straits at the time when Isaiah received directions to seek an interview with him and to communicate him a comforting message from Jehovah. He's already suffered two defeats. Right? That's very important. In the days of Ahaz, the reign of Ahaz, now this is the time they give us, covered probably the space between 743 BC, and in 720 BC, 727 BC, the march on Jerusalem appears to have fallen somewhat late in his reign, about 733 BC. All right, so there, there's some of the time frame they try to, to try to put this, some of these things happening in. It is probable that he and Rezin. And Pekah were anxious to form a confederacy for the purpose of resisting the advance of the Assyrian power and distrusting Ahaz desired to place on the throne of Judah a person whom they could thoroughly depend. It was not their design to conquer the Jewish kingdom, but only to change the sovereign. Towards Jerusalem, rather, to Jerusalem, the allies reached the city and commenced the siege. They could not prevail against it and literally prevailed not in the fight against it. Okay, so everybody can understand that. Right. Right. Makes sense. Now we see in verse two, it says, and it, 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 and it was told the house of David saying Syria is Confederate with Ephraim. Please note Ephraim is another name for what? For Israel, for the northern kingdom. So just don't get confused or anything there. All right. That make, everybody makes sense. All right. According to one commentary, the news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. Everybody see that in verse 2? His heart was moved and the heart of his people as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Everybody see that in verse 2? So basically the people of Judah and Ahaz are what? Scared. Scared. And why are they scared? Well, they've already been defeated. He's already been defeated. He's already faced some military defeats. They've already, there's already been all kinds of problems. And that's two nations joining, right? And not only that, if you go along with them, you may be worried about the Assyrians. I mean, I mean how do you do this? If I go along with you, if we don't beat the Assyrians, then the Assyrians will destry- destroy all three of us. If I don't go along with you, then I... You, you, it's a no-win situation. And so th- there's fear. I want you to really emphasize and really pay attention to verse 2 because that puts the humanity in the story. Sometimes we make this very, like, you know, like it's a flannel graph, you know, one-dimensional. This is the real people with real emotions. They're scared to death. Right? Does that make sense? Right. We're not making near as far as I wanted to, but that's, that's what happens. Okay? So... They're all scared, and we, we, can, we get the idea, all right? Now, Ahaz, and this is, I have in my notes, Ahaz is not only scared, he's probably also thinking of his different options. He finds himself halting between two opinions. Now, this is a commentary. He is making a show of resistance, but in reality, he is not depending either on the protection of Jehovah or the courage of his people, but on a plan of his own, and most likely, what do you think that plan is? What do you think his plan is? Based off everything we've learned about Ahaz already tonight. Look to the Assyrians. In other words, I'm not, gonna, I'm not worried about relying on God. I'm not even worried about relying on the strength of my own people. I'm looking for someone else to help me out. That's most likely what he is thinking. All right, this commentary goes on to say, Why should he not continue to pay tribute to Assyria as Uzziah and Menahem had done? 2 Kings 15, 19. The others had already been paying kind of tributary to them. So why would you just keep like, hey, we're paying. Basically, think of it like we're paying for protection. So it's time for you to, to step up. And who could he write to for help? Who, who would he be writing to to get help from if he's getting help from the Syrians? Yeah, Tiglath-Pileser to attack the territories of the invading kings, as he actually did at a later stage in the war. We read that as Second Kings fifteen twenty nine. All right. Then we get to second. Uh, then we get to Isaiah chapter seven verse 6. So so far, everybody makes everybody understands who's who, what's going on. We understand the humanity here. We understand they're fearful, and we think Ahaz probably is coming up with a plan. In the middle of his plan and his fear, what happens? Well, no God. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jashub, right? Shear Jashub, his son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool and the highway of the fuller's field. Now, Shear Jashub, I want to just go ahead and write this down right? Son number one in the story. Here is son number one. There's going to be three sons before this is over, right? Shear Jashub, then we're going to have Emmanuel, and then we're going to have one that shows up in chapter eight. Okay, everybody got that? Now, Shear Jashub, his name means what? A remnant shall return most likely, we, uh, I think most would uh, believe that this name was given to him, obviously by uh, divine revelation, most people would assume, but the name means something significant. Now, here's what we need to find out. Shear Jashub, when was he born? You can go to look, at, look him up, see what you can find. I can't believe it's already 7.43. Man. Okay. Well, we did start late, but if we're going to finish this, we need to go to about 7 tomorrow morning. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Shi'ar Jeshub. Yeah, y'all yeah, can do a Google search. Ask Google. Ask Siri. Ask Alexa. Ask whomever. Call a friend. Cheat. Okay, whatever you got to do. Well, what do you think? Shira Jashub. Okay, no, no year when it was born, All right? Shira Jashub. do some searching look I don't want to take the time but I, I want I w- just want to because we need to we, this may become important it may not be important but we need to see what we can find out I don't know if you're going to find it in the Bible dictionary you may have to do a Google search and see does anybody know you can use study Bibles Do we have any idea of the age of Shirah Jezab as he is standing there or he's with Isaiah when he's going to go meet Ahaz? Do we have a possible age that the child could be at that time? Okay, eldest son? Okay, (laughs) that's a big... That's a big gap. (laughs) That's a huge gap. All right. Someone participating in the Bible study exercise and their timeline. And they, they clearly said that this needs to be verified like 500 different ways. They said, and they have a question mark in their timeline that they sent me. They have 737 BC. And... That it's probably around 735 BC when Shear Jashub accompanies his father in Isaiah. If that's true, he would be how old? Two. Now, that, that's, they, they, they said we have to verify this. I don't know if we'll be able to verify this, but it may come into play. It may, co- it may be super important. Okay, the Holman Bible Dictionary says 737. okay, Holman Bible Dictionary says 737. All right. Is that that's when he was born? That's when he was born. Okay. Okay. There we have it. Okay. Did you find something different? No. Okay. All right. There's the Holman's Bible Dictionary. They didn't cite a source. There's a good chance they got it from the same source. But we'll put, so we can put down, just put, Shirar Jeshub, just put down, possibly born in 737. Possibly. Possibly, he's about two years of age when Isaiah is going to bring him along for this meeting with Ahaz, and his name means "a remnant will return." Okay, so far so good. Now, you could ask: Would that name? Would that name bring a lot of comfort to Ahaz? A remnant will return would assume that a remnant's going to be taken away. So I don't know how much comfort that would be. Right. OK. And he doesn't. Which remnant? When is this going to occur? I, I don't know. OK. Right. Well, I mean, I don't even know if he gave it much thought, but the name is there. And, you know, we, we don't know exactly how the meeting went, but it, it's OK. So, all right, let's let's go through it. Now, what else do we find out about the meeting? well, possibly I don't know i I don't know how close to it okay okay, yeah, well then possibly okay i I don't know yeah. so i mean if 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 we have the age of Shirar Jacobb even closely right, I mean you have to, there are a lot of things there to try to figure out you know how old when was he born there's a lot of speculation we have going on here, okay so but the bottom line is, or, or the next thing I want you to see, what is there something interesting? What, why? The text gives us some things interesting about the meeting, does it not? W- where does the meeting take place? That's a lot of information, is it not? Yeah, it's an out-of-the-way location. But is there anything else possibly significant about it? Does it give some possibly insight what Ahaz is thinking? According to one source, the conduit of the upper pool is mentioned also in 2 Kings 18.17. It was probably a subterranean duct which brought water into the city from the high ground outside of the Damascus Gate. Ahaz may have visited it in order to see that it was made available for his own use, but not for the enemies. And we read some things about this in 2 Chronicles 32 and Isaiah 22. In other words, if that is true, what does that demonstrate? No, it, it demonstrates Ahaz's fear. He's checking on the water supply. No, 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 he's checking on the water. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the significance. Like, it's weird that the text would be like, okay, here's specifically where he's meeting, Right? He's meeting in a place where they're getting their water, and he's possibly concerned. Could they cut off the water supply? They cut off the water supply. What does that mean? Yeah, it's probably death and destruction and defeat, right? Does that make sense? So I can't be dogmatic about it, but I just think it's interesting that it is mentioned. All right. Any? Everybody understand that so far? All right. So what do we have? We have a clear historical situation developing, right? There's war, there's fear, and we have two countries. What two countries are coming together? Israel and Syria. And they're coming together because they they ultimately want to defeat whom? Assyria. But who won't join them? Ahaz or Judah. And so now they're coming against Judah. Ahaz probably already has in mind to reach out to Assyria. But in the meantime, he's got to deal with this threat. God sends Isaiah with the son Shirar Jashub, which means the remnant will return, and he finds Ahaz looking at possibly the water supply, demonstrating Ahaz's possible concern, or at least trying to make a strategic plan. Possibly. It, it, would, it would not make any other sense why he it gives us all of this information. All right? Now, I don't know anything about the fullers Field. I didn't bother to look anything up there in regards to that. Okay. Now, verse 4. Say unto him, take heed, be quiet, fear not, neither be faint-hearted, for the two tells of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and of the son of Ramalia. All right? Now, basically, uh, what's, the, what's the simple message God gives to Ahaz? Don't be afraid. Stay calm. Don't do anything foolish. Don't make any rash decision. Don't be faint-hearted. Don't worry about it. All right? And listen, because, and, and listen, don't get upset, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramalia have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, let us go up against Judah and vex it. Let us make a breach therein for us and set a king in the midst of it, even the, of the son of Tabial. Everybody see that? So it's very honest what, what they're planning. They're coming to do what? To, weaken them and... to remove Ahaz. Ahaz, they're coming to get you. They're coming to remove you. Now again, if they remove him, what takes place? Nothing from the line of David. Now, now we have a, we have a spiritual theological problem. Yes, All right. God steps in next. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. It's not going to happen, Ahaz. Don't worry about it. It's not going to happen. Now, what does he offer in verse 8 and 9? What does he he try to offer? He tells him it's not going to happen, and he tries to offer some some comfort here in verse 8 and 9. All right? I'm going to read it from a couple of different translations. Verse 8. For the head of of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. Or New Living Translation, for Syria is no stronger than its capital Damascus. Damascus is no stronger than its king. So what is it saying about Syria? Don't worry about them. They're only as strong as what? Their capital and their king. Indicating that their capital and their king is really nothing to be that fearful of. So don't be too worried about Syria. And then when it comes to Ephraim, what does he tell them about Ephraim? Well, not just about, but within how long? 65 years. Yeah, 65 years, they're going to be what? Broken and and not anything. All right. So he offers him some kind of comfort. Yes. Does that make sense? All right. Now I'll just read from, uh, quickly from a couple of commentaries because there's one main thing I want to get to here. All right? I'm going to do my best. I'm trying to go as fast as I can. But we did start a little late, so I'm going to do my best not to keep you longer than I have to. All right. Syria and Ephraim have merely human heads, the one resin, the other Pecca. But Judah, it is implied, has a divine head, even Jehovah. So in other words, you don't worry about them. They're just humans. Who's on Ahaz's side? Who's who's coming to Ahaz's rescue? God. So don't worry about men. You've got God on your side. It is implied uh, that that Judah has has basically a divine head, even Jehovah. How then should mere mortals think to oppose their will and their design to God's? Of course, their designs must come to night. Within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken. Assuming the genuineness of the clause, we have in, in the first direct chronological prediction and the prophet's utterances. Others follow and then they give some. Reckoning from B.C. 736. Now they say that the, the prophecy probably took place in 736. That's the date they give. We don't know if that works, right? That's what they say. As the probable, probable date of the prophecy, the 65 years brings us to BC 671. At that date, the Assyrian uh, as, ascriptions, and then they, they talk about when this would possibly bring this all to an end. All right? We talked about all of this. So they say this would probably, the, the work would be completed and we can read about it basically in Second Kings, and that Ephraim then would be no more a people. All right. So the bottom line is, we know that at some point, what's going to happen to the Ephraim? What's going to happen to Israel? By whom? Assyria. <laughs> Which is just interesting because Ahaz wants to rely on whom? Assyria. So hey, hey, Ahaz, don't worry about it. But it, hey, in 65 years, they're not going to be anymore. In 722, they do, but I think before all it's completed, it, 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 it takes a while before all of them are actually carried off. They'll, I think the last remnant of the people are basically carried off. Um, you've got, what's his name? Asher Benipal, gets involved here. Um, and then there's a co-regent with his father, Esher Haddon. And then he basically carries off the last remnant of the people. And this, is, this completed the work which had begun by Solomon, uh, Menezer, and Sargon, which is in Second Kings 17.6. So it basically is a slow process to take off all the pe- to take the people, right? So at, at that point, then they basically become no more. So does that make sense? And that's a good question. I Yeah, well, that may be hard and fast for the beginning of it, but it takes a while before the people are all carried away. Okay, so ultimately, that brings us around 65 years, it's gone. Now, how do we measure that? you are going to figure out when it starts, then when it ends. It's a lot of trying to figuring out dates. But the bottom line is we do know this. This is fact. What's going to happen to Israel? It's going to be broken. There's no question. We may have a hard time measuring up the timeline. We have no problem understanding they are going to be destroyed. So it's uh, Ahaz, don't worry. It's going to be taken care of. Syria is nothing to worry about. They're nothing. And Israel is going to be destroyed. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, doing horrible things. Yet there's no judgment here yeah, there's no judgment here. There's no. He's not condemned. He's not told to repent. He's not rebuked, because the. I think this issue. This is not about Ahaz. This is about the promise made to David. This is about the Davidic covenant that. Hey, I'm going to make sure I have a king. And that you're you're the person that's currently here, so you're the person I'm going to protect and preserve, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I, I'm I'm telling you how this is not going to succeed. It's not ultimately about Ahaz. Remember, God's plans are far they transcend people. there's any fear? Oh no 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 now I think he, I think he's I think he's being uh, super spiritual here. He, he's he's using spiritual things as an excuse because he even makes a reference to to things that come straight out of Deuteronomy, right? He's he's pretending to be spiritual there. I don't think it has any, I don't think he I don't think he has any fear. Uh, you you definitely don't see anything here. Okay, so ever everybody so it's not going to be established. Everything everybody's got that everybody's good to go there. Yes. It's not going to happen, Ephraim's going to be broken. Verse 9, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. All right? there's a lot more we could talk about there, but okay, just stay with me. We're trying to get to verse 16 before we leave here. Okay, everybody good? All right, now, moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, ask thee a sign Of the Lord thy God, ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Don't tempt the Lord comes from Deuteronomy. He's making a, he's trying, I think what he's doing here, he's using spirituality to cover what? He already has a plan. What do you think his plan is? Assyria, that's his plan. Look, and the reason I don't think he's being godly here is that everything about his character demonstrates he's horrible. Horrible. He's an ungodly king. He's not worried about, oh, I don't want to tempt the Lord. No, he's using spirituality to cover up and to, justif- and to justify his will. People will grab scripture anywhere to justify their actions. Oh, I don't want to tempt God. How could I ever tempt God? Well, it's only God there trying to give you a plan. But no, he wants to contact the Assyrians. And, why, and probably because he, want, he needs to keep the Assyrians what? friendly so i think that that's what's that's what's going on there all right so he does not ask a sign and he said hear ye now O house of david if it 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 is a small thing for you to weary men but will you weary my god also now the idea seems to be here okay listen ahaz how long how long are you going to continue to weary the people the people are even tired of him They're tired of his decisions. They're frustrated with, are you also going to weary God? Now you think at this point, God would already be pretty wearied with him, but now he's really, now it's the idea like you're wearying God. You're trying his patience, right? That's a pretty scary place to be. Yes. So then immediately we have, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now we have son number two. Yes, right now. I had to skip a lot here. Had to skip a lot here. Now we get to this prophecy. All right, now here we go. Few prophecies have been the subject of so much controversy, or called forth such a variety of exegesis as the prophecy of Emmanuel. There are 20, uh, this one commentary gives a list of 28 authors who have written dissertations upon it, and himself adds a 29th. Yet the subject is far from being exhausted. Right? So in other words, there's all kinds of like nobody knows what in the world is going on in Isaiah 7:14. All right? Here are some questions that are asked. Uh, were the mother and son persons belonging to the time of Isaiah himself? And if so, what persons were they? Were the mother and son belonging to the time of Isaiah? Were the mother and son the Virgin Mary and her son Jesus? Or had the prophecy a double fulfillment? First, in certain persons who lived in Isaiah's time, and secondly, in Jesus and his mother. Now, there's one thing that we can absolutely establish as fact. What's the one thing we absolutely know is certain? What's the one thing that we can be dogmatic here about Isaiah 7.14? We can be, look, there's a lot we cannot be dogmatic, but what can we be dogmatic about? Now, Isaiah 7.14, what can we be dogmatic about? You don't think we can be dogmatic about anything in regards to this prophecy? We can be dogmatic that the New Testament says that's Jesus. OK, right. Can, 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 we, can we all be dogmatic about that? Yes. Where, where does the New Testament make it dogmatic? Would it be Matthew chapter one, starting in verse 18 and following? Okay Yes. All right. So Matthew 1, 18 and following makes it dogmatic that this ultimately is fulfilled in Jesus. There's a, there's a, a, a listen, when the, when you find yourself in the midst of confusion, what do you always go to? You always go to what's clear. Whenever you come to a confusion in the Bible, you stop and go, "Okay, stop everyone, stop talking." What's clear? Once you figure out what's clear, I don't care what anybody else argues. Does that make sense? You grab onto what's clear. Does that mean you ignore the unclear? No, it just means you've got something to grab onto. All right? Matthew 1, 18 and following makes it clear that this refers to Jesus. But that doesn't take away what else is going on here. Now, in some ways, you can just say, well, God just basically said, forget you, Ahaz, forget you. I, I'm going to still do what I said. They're not going to succeed. Ephraim is still going to fall. I'm going to keep all of those promises, right? You don't even have anything to worry about, but I'm going to give a sign for, well, this virgin having a son, which leads to like, wait a minute, what, what is going on? What is happening? So here are some of the, uh, the ideas here, all right? Here we go. Everybody ready? All right. Here's some of the theories, all right? The first theory is that of the Jewish commentators, Originally, they suggested that the mother was Abi, A B I, the wife of Ahaz, 2 Kings eighteen two, and the son Hezekiah, who delivered Judah from the Assyrian power, but uh, is the was the son. So the mother would be Ahaz's wife, the son would be Hezekiah. However. This was early disproved by showing that according to the numbers of kings, 2 Kings 16:2, 2, 2 Kings 18:2, Hezekiah was at least 9 years old in the first year of Ahaz, before which the prophecy could have could not have been delivered. All right? Does that make sense? All right. The second suggestion made identified the mother with Isaiah's wife, the prophetess. Look at Isaiah chapter 8 verse 3. And who would that son be? Who would the son be then? Mehar Sh- uh, Shalal Hashbaz. Right. Some believe that is the mother and the son. All right. Uh, all right. It's not called Emmanuel. Okay. It's not called Emmanuel. All right. Um, and it says under a symbolic designation. All right. Uh, They also say ha Alma, the virgin, would be a very strange title for Isaiah to to have given his wife, and the rank assigned to Emmanuel in Isaiah 8-8 would not suit any son of Isaiah's. It remains to regard the Alma as some young woman, actually present, name, rank, and position unknown, and Emmanuel as her son, also otherwise unknown. But the grand expression, the Lord himself shall give you a sign, behold, seems to go that, that that couldn't just be one of Isaiah's sons or that couldn't be Hezekiah. Hezekiah doesn't even make sense in the timeline, all right? So that, that one doesn't seem to work very well. Nobody knows what to do there. But please listen. That doesn't mean that one of Isaiah's sons don't come into play here because things are going to fall off the train tracks here in a minute, all right? So that's that's the, the Jewish theory, which basically says that the first theory is that it's either, that it has to be a woman and son at that time. The second is the purely messianic theory. This is the idea that this has nothing to do with anyone at that time. This, has not, uh, this is only fulfilled in Jesus and Mary, all right? And they say the purely messianic theory is maintained, Uh, but without any consideration of its difficulties. In other words, there are people who hold to this like, who cares if if it doesn't make sense? That's the answer. Uh, The birth of Christ was an event more than 700 years distant. And what sense and to what persons could it be a sign of the coming deliverance of the land from Rezin and Pekah? And upon the purely messianic theory, what is the meaning of verse 16? Syria and Samaria were in fact crushed within a few years of the delivery of the prophecy. Why is their desolation put off? Apparently till the coming of the Messiah and even till uh, he has reached a certain age. Some meet these difficulties by the startling statement that Isaiah expected the advent of the Messiah to basically match up with the Assyrian invasion and consequently thought that before Reza and Apeka were crushed, he would have reached the age of discernment. But he does not seem to see that in the case uh, it, uh, does not see that in the case uh, was altogether disappointing and illusionary. In other words, if you think, if you're trying to match it up, going well, maybe Isaiah, maybe they just thought that the Messiah was going to show up within two years and they ended up being wrong. Well, then that has parts of it not even being inspired and creates all kinds of problems. So there's all kinds of questions if, 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 in regards to this. Um, if, the, if this faith of Isaiah's disciples were aroused and their hopes raised by the announcement that Emmanuel was just about to be born, a virgin is with child, what would be the revulsion of feeling when no Emmanuel appeared? In other words, if they really believed that this was, son was going to be born soon and that was going to be very much dependent upon these kings being destroyed, when it didn't happen, they would have all been like, well, this is a bunch of garbage and Isaiah's a false prophet. And so how, how do we... How do we make sense of that? All right. Um, Some say, uh, some suggest that the prophecy had a double bearing and a double fulfillment. The obvious and literal meaning of the prophecy is this. He is this. He says that when within the time that a young woman, now a virgin, should conceive and bring forth a child, and that child should arrive of such an age to distinguish between good and evil that within a few years, the enemies of Judah should be destroyed. But the prophecy was so worded, he adds, as to have a further meaning, which even the original design and the principal intention of the prophet, the messianic one. All the expressions of the prophecy do not suit both its intentions. Some are selected with reference to the first, others with reference to the second fulfillment. But all suit one or the other, and some suit both. The first child may have received the name Emmanuel from a faithful Jewish mother who believed that God was with his people, whatever dangers threatened, and may have reached years of discretion about the time that Samaria was carried away captive. The second child is the true Emmanuel, God with us. So this one basically argues, hey, there had to be two children. And, and we don't know who this ch- child was. We don't know who the mother was. But most likely she called the kid Emmanuel, saying that God is with us. He's going to take care of these really bad nations who are trying to destroy us. And before that child reached that age, then those, those people were destroyed. But ultimately, who's the true Emmanuel? Christ. <laughs> You've got a lot of options here. We do know that Jesus is involved here, yes? So you could, here's my argument. Does God just say, okay, Ahaz, you don't want a sign? I'm still going to do what I promised you, but here's the sign I'm ultimately going to give. I'm ultimately going to give this sign, and that sign has nothing to do with Ahaz, nothing to do with their immediate situation, it has everything to do with the, the original promise that on the throne of David, there would be a king. All right, that may make sense. Now, we've got verse 15 and 16, all right? And we'll stop right here. Verse 15, butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Nobody knows what in the world's going on in verse 15. Nobody. Some say butter and honey, that's just the normal food given to children at the time. Others demonstrate that, wait a minute, butter and honey, this demonstrates that everything's really, really bad and there's like no food and this is the only thing the child can have. So it really demonstrates how bad the situation is. Some would try to go crazy and spiritualize it to no end. I don't know. I don't have a major issue with 15, right? Basically, the child's going to eat food. What, 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 what could be significant about that? If this, po- if, if this points to Jesus, what would be significant that he's going to eat butter and honey? Oh, there we go. He, he's going to come in the flesh. It's going to be a human being who's going to eat. All right? And then what else do we find in verse 15? That he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. The idea is he's going to grow. He's going to grow up, right? Yes? He's a baby. He's going to grow up. So we don't have a lot of problems with 15. 16 is where the train, tra- the train leaves the track, the car crashes, and the boat sinks, and I give up. All right? I-, I wish we could have spent more time in 15, but we have to end with 16. Everybody ready? For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings. Now what in the world is, what does that sound like? What does that sound like there? Before this child, before this child reaches what? Before the child reaches what? Look look at the verse. Before he knows how to refuse evil. In other words, before he reaches this age of some kind of moral consciousness, right? Before he reaches that age, the land you abhor is going to be desolate and both kings are going to be destroyed. No, that, wait a minute. (laughs) Okay, who is the one abhorring the land? No, look, the context, who would this be referring to? Has to be Ahaz, right? Ahaz is not happy, correct? Okay, so is it another promise to Ahaz? Hey, before, before the land that you hate, before this kid is going to reach this age, it's all going to be over. Okay, would, everybody see a problem now? Yeah, okay, it's a big problem. Okay, which boy could it be? Yeah. Well, the promise right before it, if we believe that that's a promise of Jesus, then it has to be talking about Jesus, which would make no sense. Okay, so then what do we do here? What do you think has been done in church history? Okay, a different boy? Okay, let's let's try this. What boy could that be? Ha, ha. There's only two sons that's been mentioned so far, right? Oh, I mean two, there's been more than that, but two major sons. Okay, What's, what's his name? Shirar Jashub, right? And then Emmanuel, correct? If this is Emmanuel pointing to Jesus, it doesn't work in 16. Unless that's not about Ahab, or Ahab, Ahaz, abhorring the land. That's about some, something else abhorring the land, and it's not referring to the two kings of Israel and Syria. Some jump and say, no, no, see, what's going to happen? The, the, the kings of Judah and Israel are both going to be destroyed. There's not going to be any kingdom of Israel and Syria left when Jesus comes along. The Israel is going to be desolate. They're going to be basically in captivity. Now, that, that's, that's a hard jump because then that, what does that have to do with Ahaz, right? Does everybody see how some people will try to do that? Here is what uh, some do. Are you ready? For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, this may be understood of Isaiah's child. Shirad Jashub, he had along with him. He was bid to take with him and who therefore must be supposed to bear some part or answer some end or other in the prophecy. It is very probable, may be this, to assure Ahaz in the house of David that the land which was abhorred by them should be forsaken of both its kings before the child, Shirad Jashub, oh that's with him before he has grown to years of discretion though it may be understood of any child and so of and then, then they go on and try to come up with some other possibilities but most believe that what's going to happen to them they're going to be it's going to be it's going they're going to be destroyed in about 2 years 2 to 3 years almost everyone agrees that that's when it happens so what's going on in 16 Now, when it's Christmas time, nobody mentions this problem, do they? Oh, of course not. No, 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 no. Why? Come on, let's just have a little candlelit, a candlelight service on Christmas Eve and read Isaiah 7, 14. And everybody's like, amen, that was beautiful, Pastor. I don't really care about the rest of the verses. Okay. What do you do? So, we'll end here. What are your three options with 16. What are your three options? All right. 14 is a, hey, that's a sign. Now, do we put 15 as a different sign as well? Or do we put 15 with 14? (laughs) Okay. Now, this way it gets textually weird, right? Okay the reason we put 15 with 14 is because we can get away with that, right? Okay. 16 is where the problems become, yes? All right, so what are three options with 16? Everyone give me their three best options with 16 that I've tried to explain. I want to make sure everyone has their three best options. And it will end. I know we're already at 820, I'm sorry. What's your three, three best options? All right, we'll go with the, fir- the first one, that that's Shirar Jashib, and that when it says the child, it's basically, some say in the Hebrew, it's this child. That literally, is almost like Isaiah saying, when this child reaches that age, the land that you abhor, boom, it's going it's, it, to be gone. They're going to be gone. So that in the Hebrew, he says this child. Now, I can't find an English translation that translates it that way, so I have a hard time when a commentary says, well, in the Hebrew it means that. Well, then no, Hebrew, no, no translation committee on earth ever found it? Right? Okay, I have a hard time with that, but that's what they say. So there's option number one. Okay? What's the problem with option number one? Yeah, it's just what textual, I mean, it just, it just rips it out of the, it's just weird. Right? Okay. What's option number two? That this that the land he, you abhor could it be? I mean, this is hard. I don't know if you can even do this. Is this a reference to God abhorring the land? I don't think textually you can pull that off, right? You got to move it from Ahaz. Yes, you got to get it away from Ahaz, unless you're saying, does Ahaz abhor both? See, like if he's abhorring Syria and Israel, then it's got to be referring to Syria and Israel. So if it's Jesus, then it's, was Syria still around when Jesus comes along? If if Syria is still around when Jesus comes along, then you have a problem, yes? Yeah, Damascus is still, right? So, yeah, I I don't think that works, right? So then you have to say that if it's Jesus, that it's referring to what two lands? Judah and Israel, and that their kings are going to be gone. That, that's hard to make that work, isn't it? That's really hard to make it work. Now, it, it's true that that happens, but I don't know if that's what that's referencing. I don't even know how to make it reference that. Does that make sense? Who well, Then who's abhorring the land? You're saying God is going to be so upset with Israel and Judah that they're both going to be gone? Well, I mean, they're gone in a sense. They're, they're, there's no king and they're in captivity. Right. Well, a remnant will a remnant does return from Babylonian captivity. Well, they do, but the, where do we find it? When we open up the Book of Matthew, they have no king. They're in captivity. Well, they're not gone like Israel, but they're they're not their their kings are gone. The land is desolate in a sense. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just trying to come up with some kind of solution, right? No solution is perfect here. Okay. All right. So what's the third solution? Shereb Jeshub makes the most sense because we see, we see why I was trying to figure out the age of the child earlier. Does it work with the second, the second son? Yeah. The second son's not there at the time, right? So is it referring to the second son? Maybe. Yeah, we, yeah, we don't believe that works. Yeah. So, what would be a third option? It could, it could be. I mean, that's what some of the commentary. We don't know who the child is. We don't know, and and obviously, but the idea, though, just remember the problem with that idea is it just seems to say, "Behold, a virgin shall conceive it." It's so emphasized, like this is going to be something spectacular. This is going to be a sign. It's not much of a sign if it's just a woman has a child and calls his name Emmanuel. Yeah, you know, women have babies all the time. So that that problem. So what would be a third option here? What would be a third option? Oh come on! I've given you two, Sarah, Jashub, Somehow this is. <laughs> the, 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 the land that's going to be desolate is going to be Judah and Israel and, and there's going to be no kings. We, uh, that, that has all kinds of problems. So what's the third option? There's only one other possibly option. The option. Uh, the, okay, the first option is Jeshub. The second option is that ha- this is referring to Israel and Judah. They're not going to have a king. Their land's going to be desolate when Jesus comes along and reaches that age. No, that's the second one. Or Israel and Judah. Okay, yeah. Now Israel and Syria doesn't even work. We can't. I'm sorry. Israel and Judah. Israel and Syria doesn't even work because we, we think Syria still much has a king and everything at that time. So third possibility is that the Messiah? No, third possibility is we don't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, that, that's the third, I know, I, I'm, not, I'm not messing, I want, I want you to acknowledge that we may not have a clue here. Right? All the people who've been working on the Bible study exercise, they've all, And, they're, and they're, I mean, you should see their notes. I mean, they went in, I mean, they go in, and they, 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 all, they all skipped 15 and 16. And they're like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with 15. I don't know what to do with 15 and 16. Everything else up to that point makes pretty good sense, yes? Agreed? Is there anything before 15 and 16 that doesn't make any sense? Did, Did we identify all the kings? Did we identify all the countries? Did we identify the fear? Did we identify Ahaz being pro Assyria and possibly looking to Assyria to help him? The next section is pretty simple to explain. Assyria is going to come on and Ahaz, you're going to look to Assyria and Assyria is going to possibly do some help. But guess what they're ultimately going to do to you? They are going to hurt and destroy, right? So so then the only thing that doesn't make any sense is 15 and 16. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know if someone can figure that out. Was Syria under Roman Roman control at the time or was Syrians... Separate. If you can figure that out, you could po- possibly try to make it work. Yeah. At the time of Jesus, when he before he reaches that age. Right. So now, so then you could say if Syria and Israel will be desolate because Israel there's no remnant, right? Israel's gone, right? Judah has a, has a remnant. Yes. Correct. And so, then, does that does that work? That that by the time Jesus reaches that age, Syria and Israel will be desolate, and the world will not have a king. Does that work? Now, I don't think anyone. I don't. I don't think any commentaries put that idea out there. But we're famous for coming up with new ideas. Okay. Oh, so Herod's ruling over it. Does that work? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's Roman controlled. So does that work? But then who's who's abhorring the land? Or the land that you, hey, the land that you abhor, Ahaz, way in the future, they're going to be desolate and they're not going to have any kings ruling over them. Because who's ruling over both? Is Herod over both? Syria and, well, not, not Israel, but Syria and Judah. Well, Whoever Israel is, I mean, they're, they're, they're both gone for the most part. But Herod's over that area where Israel is at, correct? So would Herod be over both at that time? Possibly. Alright, so what are our options again? Share our jeshub, right? Somehow it refers to Israel and Judah, which doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Number three, it refers to Israel and Judah at the time of, or Israel and Syria at the time of Jesus. And then number four, we have no idea. Alright, did, did that work? Or did you have something else, Sarah? Right. You don't have an answer. Okay. All right. Well, that's where we're going to have to stop. I know we went way long, but that's okay. All right. We we, nobody had anything else better to do. Right. (laughs) All right. Nobody left us any messages other than probably like stop talking. Okay. All right. There we have it. All right. We'll stop. Right, we can talk about it after, but there, I think we've got verses 1 to 16 down. I mean, 1 to 15 down. 1 to 14 down. Like, let's just not pretend. 15 and 16, we don't have down. All right, let's just pretend. 15 and 16, we don't have a clue. 1 to 14, I don't think, I don't think we can clarify it anymore. And then starting in 17, basically, hey, Assyria is going to come on Ahaz. Ahaz thinks that they're his friends, but they're ultimately going to, 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 to cause him major problems. Going to be the razor in a sense. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Lord, we so desperately want to understand this prophecy, ensure that we interpret it correctly, apply it correctly, and not just pretend that it's simple and easy like many people do this time of year. This is a complicated chapter that sadly does not get treated with any kind of dignity or respect in the church. Forgive us when we have mishandled it. I pray that we would not mishandle it moving into the future and that we may not be able to come up with all the answers, but we at least now know all the questions. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,